We are so grateful to have you guys this morning, and this is week four of our series called I Love My Church. And um, for those of you that are first-time guests, you're like, oh man, isn't that kind of, uh, you know, kind of arrogant in a way, maybe to be preaching about how you love your church? And I'm like, uh, because it, it almost suggests that we think of our church more highly than, than others. But actually, in week one, if you remember when we gathered, we talked about what the church was and that the church is not centered around this one particular body, but the church is a global body of people who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And we know that in this moment right now, we are meeting with hundreds of other fellowships across the world, thousands upon thousands, actually, uh, that are proclaiming Jesus Christ. Some are doing it in secret, underground. Some are able to gather and worship just like you and I are freely uh, at this point in our life. But the purpose is, is to make God famous. And so we know that we love our church because even we even if we love our church a whole lot. I mean, we are able to serve, we give, we we go, we attend, we are bought in. We know that we can't possibly love the church near as much as Jesus Christ loves his church. Matter of fact, in Matthew, he says that not even the gates of hell will prevail against his church, that his church is going to make a difference radically. And I believe wholeheartedly that we're to join that cause. And so that's why we exist as a church. Week one, we talked to the church. is not simply a building. It's not somewhere we go. It's not a place. And oftentimes, that's what we think of, right? Like this morning, you said, hey, let's get up. Let's go to church. When you're talking about a wedding or a funeral, we go, hey, we're going to meet at the church. And it drives me crazy. Matter of fact, you never, ever, ever hear me call this the church. You always hear me refer to it as a building. Why? Because this is simply a building. We're gathering as the building. But the Bible says that you and I, we are the people of God. We are the church. We're the saints is what one uh, version of the Bible would say. And I know that it's hard for you to believe that you're a saint. I get it, okay? You look back over the course of the last few weeks of your life, and you're like, hey, I'm no saint. But the Bible declares his people a holy priesthood, a chosen people, a chosen nation, that we are the saints of God, and that he has a purpose and a plan for us as the people of God. We have one leader in Jesus Christ. Amen? And so uh, praise God that it's not just me, right? It's Jesus Christ is the leader, okay? And we're one fellowship, one family, trying to accomplish one purpose, Okay? Uh, then in week two, we talked about because of the fact that God loves his church, he supplies his people with gifts, gifts to use. He gives pastors to equip people in those gifts, to help you move forward in your faith. Pastors shouldn't be uh, egotistical, arrogant giants. What they should be is loving pastors, ready to shepherd their people towards their gifts, to use those for the benefit of God's glory within his church, the body of Christ. Amen? And then last week, we talked about uh, the idea that there's a message that the church proclaims, that we are to proclaim. And as we proclaim that message, there ought to be some things happening within the church. The very first thing is you ought to see people having a conversion to Christ. They ought to know Jesus Christ. And as they know Jesus Christ, they ought to grow in character of, uh, in Christ. They ought to grow in competency of Jesus Christ. And they ought to have a witness for Christ. And so is it important the way we live our lives? Absolutely. And so we look at what the church is, how God supplied gifts to his church, and what the church should be accomplishing as it goes forth. And so you should see that there's people that are using their gifts and they're growing in character of Christ and competency of his word. And so you go, okay, that's awesome. That's the church. The thing is, though, is that we also need to know that as the church grows, and although God 
loves his church. In week one, we also said there's an enemy in the church. There's an enemy that is lurking and prowling around, and he wants to destroy what? The church. He wants to destroy marriages within the church. He wants to destroy uh, family relationships. He wants to destroy the unity of the people within the body. And so there's an enemy that we have to guard against. And so today, I want to just address the dangers of the church. Like, what are the dangers of the church? Are there real dangers? Well, according to Paul, as he writes a, a letter to Timothy, his buddy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says there are some dangers that is the people of God you ought to be looking for. And so uh, my goal today is to simply point out the dangers. And if you feel like you're one of those, uh, then let me know, okay? Um, if not, then you need to be making sure that you're standing firm against such things. And so let's uh, join together. We're going to pray. And then if you'll open your Bible here in a second, to Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, we'll get going. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to stop by uh, kind of in the outside area, our lobby. Uh, we have a counter out there. We call it our resource area. We'd love to get you a Bible if you don't have one. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, as we spend uh, some time this morning in your word, I pray that you would make this very clear to us. Lord, help us to see um, exactly what the dangers are within the body of Christ and uh, within the church, things that we ought to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, I pray um, that we realize that there is no body of believers, there is no people uh, within the church that are exempt from these dangers. And so, Lord, help us to stand firm, uh, to uh, literally, as Ephesians 6 says, be shod and ready with our feet planted on the ground. Lord, may we have the belt of truth buckled around our waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Lord, would we be thoroughly equipped uh, to, to see and handle these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, uh, if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to get going, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're also going to provide it for you up on the screen if you don't have yours. And Paul writes uh, to Timothy. Timothy's the uh, pastor of uh, one of the largest churches in the New Testament, and that's Ephesus. And um, we saw last week that he's kind of growing a little bit weary in his job. And uh, Paul encourages him, and then he encourages him to, to do several things. Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 3... He's encouraging him to be aware of what's going on. And so verse 1, it says, Realize this, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And you look at the word last days, and in your version, it may say the latter days. But the idea is this, is that in the latter days, it's a future tense word in the Greek. It means that in the latter days. So the question is, what are the latter days? Well, Paul's writing to this. Uh, to Timothy, and uh, this is one of his very last letters that he wrote. And so it's the very end of his ministry, and as he says, the latter days, he's going to begin to list some things that you would see in the latter days. Well, the latter days means as the church gets closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ. Well, I can tell you right now that history states that we're 2,000 years closer now than what we were in those days. And so the latter days must mean that it's coming. Yes? yes? And so we look and we wonder, is Jesus Christ really going to return? Well, the Bible declares wholeheartedly, very explicitly, that yes, he's going to return. If you don't believe that, then hey, just spend an hour with me, one hour with me, over a cup of coffee, and I can show you why I believe and why the Bible suggests that there is going to be a return. But before there's a return, 
Paul's saying to Timothy, there are going to be some signs that you're going to be looking for. There are going to be some things that happen in the latter days, and here they are. Verse 2, men will be lovers of self. We must be in the latter days. <laughs> days of selfies, narcissism, uh, football players who are egotistical, dancing in the end zone, pushing their teammates aside so they can have the dance to themselves. We are lovers of self. I don't think I have to go into much more of an explanation of that. Lovers of money. They would covet, not simply that they would covet more money, but they would covet your things. That The day of killing someone for their Air Jordans has come, and it's even gone. And so we are getting worse and worse in that sense, that we continue to want more. And then it says that they will be boastful, arrogant, revilers. The idea here is that they would have empty boasting, that they, they wouldn't really have that much to be arrogant or egotistical about, but they will be. And then they'll be boastful and proud. They'll be arrogant. They'll, they'll literally believe that they are above other people. And then in this sense, they'll be blasphemous, meaning that they'll, they'll just be contentious in their, their thinking and in their speech. They'll say things without thinking. They'll do exactly what it is that they want to do. They are literally the king of their life. Just as Nike says, just do it, that's exactly what their model will be. Just as what uh, Burger King says, have it your way, that's exactly what they'll do. The idea here is that they're going to what? Be boastful, arrogant, and reviling. And then look what it says. And they'll be disobedient to their parents. Well, the bottom line is this. You don't use the text disobedient to their parents when you're speaking of a 35-year-old. Did you know that? Like, you're not going to look at me and say, oh, he's disobedient to his parents. You know what you would say about me? He's unfaithful to his wife, or he's not a loving husband. And so what does the text imply? It implies that it'll start young. In the last days, it won't be just men and women who have gone off the cuff when they're in their 30s or 40s or 50s. But it'll be young. You'll have teenagers. You'll have young kids, and they're arrogant, they're proud, they're boastful, they're revilers, they're empty in their words, they're empty in their thoughts, and hey, they do it even with their parents. Parents, my prayer is you don't see it in your child, but do you see it oftentimes around your children and in their friends? Yes, it's happening. We have more and more of those things happening today. And so does it seem that, hey, things are getting worse? Yes, maybe, and maybe you can make the claim, and we had a debate uh, among some of our guys uh, in our, our discipleship group on uh, Friday morning, is the world really getting worse, or is it just that media covers it better, and there's a large debate on that, but the bottom line is, is I think that things are going to continue to get worse in the last days, that's kind of the idea here, then look at verse um, 2 as it continues, they'll be ungrateful and unholy, they'll be unloving, irreconcilable, <coughs> they'll be malicious gossips without self-control. They'll be brutal, haters of good. So they'll love evil is the idea. They'll be treacherous, reckless, and conceited. The idea is that they will go out through life and they'll be haughty and they'll be proud and they'll be puffed up is what the Greek really means. And, and when you say puffed up, it almost means that they walk through life and they hide everything in the background by this puffed up thing of smoke. And so they're all smoke. 
there's nothing of real substance about them, but they just hide themselves in all of these things. They're lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious. They are without self-control. They're brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited. They love what? Themselves. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And Romans 1 says that God gave some, meaning men who had lost their way, over to the futility of their thinking. And they what? Abandoned the truth of God for the lies is what Romans 1 says. And that's the same idea that you would have here. In the last days, you would have people that would abandon the truth of God for lies, that they would be all about themselves, that they would be about their way, their standard, their way of living, and nothing else really matters. Now the question is, is this, does that sound similar to the world in which we live in? Yes, it does. And for me, it sounds very similar to the world that we live in. And so should we be on guard against those things? Yes, absolutely. As Christians, does our witness matter? Yes. Do the way that we live our lives matter? Yes. Do the people that we surround ourselves, does it matter? Yes. Do the things that we do when we're around people who don't proclaim Jesus Christ, do they matter? Yes. Absolutely, everything we do matters. Everything you do, the witness matters. Do you think it's important, as we talked about last week, that when you have a conversion to Christ, that you see character and you see a competency of his word? Yes, because if you don't have those things, if there's no competency in his word, there's no character in Christ, and there's no witness for Christ, then let me explain something to you, friends. You are two, three, and four. You are this person. Because what is it that keeps me, me, Pastor Brandon, what is it that keeps me from being verses two, three, and four? Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that keeps me from being. Now, could I look moral on the outside? Yes. But isn't that what Jesus guarded his disciples against? Men who on the inside what were wasting away like dead men's bones, but on the outside they looked good, right? That's Matthew 23. Well, look at verse 5. These people hold to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And then he says, avoid such men as these. And the question is, is what does verse 5 mean? Because see, here's what you and I, as we read this text, this is what initially you read it, you look at it, you, you go, okay, that's true. Okay, we need to be a witness for Christ. We're the church. We've got God's gifts. He's good to us. We've got pastors who are equipping us to live good moral lives, ethical in the outside in our world. And that's great. We need to do such things because our world's getting wicked. But look at verse 5. This is crucial. This is key. Holding to a form of godliness, meaning the people who are lovers of self, lovers of money, the ones who are ungrateful and unholy, the ones who are irreconcilable, who are malicious gossips, the ones that are haters of good, they're going to hold to a form of godliness. Like there's going to be a certain system that they live by. And here's the idea, holding to a form of godliness. And then it's the word godliness there of the Greek called Eusebia. And the idea here that you look throughout the Bible when the same verse is present, it refers to men who actually are devout in their faith and who are Christians. And so what it's implying here is this, 
the men that you're going to see represented, the women that you're going to see represented in verses 2, 3, and 4 are actually in the church in the last days. They hold to a form an outward semblance of godliness. And so the question is, is this, am I preaching to you Today, for simply to say, hey, protect yourself against the outside world? No. I'm saying you need to be looking for the real deal amongst us in the church. And that's what Paul's warning to Timothy was. Matter of fact, let me just give you this text. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and and to others on the Sermon of the Mount. And he wraps up the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. And he says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Is that true? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears what? Bad fruit. He goes, it's simple. In the last days, you're going to have people, and they're going to sit among you, They're going to dress up in sheep's clothing, but they are going to act like ravenous wolves. And I don't know about you, but if I could explain a ravenous wolf in terms of what a life of a man looks like, I would would look to to, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I would look at verses 2, 3, and 4 explicitly. Why? Because everything you see in in verses 2, 3, and 4 are things that are not of Christ. And so the question is, is it possible for people to come to church and on the outside worship God, but on the inside to be wasting away. According to Jesus, he would say, yes, that's true. That can happen. There's, there happens to be something among us, pharisaical types, and that's exactly what Jesus had the greatest problem with, was the Pharisees. And they, they cleansed the outside of their cup, but the inside they could never get clean. That's Matthew 23. And so the the question always is asked, and we ask it a lot of times, do we, in fact, worship with hypocrites? Yes. Yes. Now, here's the deal. Should we be surprised or alarmed by that? According to this text. Are are y'all with me? Y'all are like, you're like, I'm trying to decide if he's, is he calling me a sheep or a wolf? I can't decide that. Here's what decides it. Matthew 7. Because Jesus clearly says at the very end of that, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. I didn't give you that part of the scripture, but that's the idea. You'll know a man by his fruit. What's in a man comes out of a man. And you can't change that. You can do everything you can on the exterior to clean yourself up. But the bottom line is this. What's in us comes out of us. And Timothy is being shared by his friend Paul. Hey, you need to be on guard about this this type of thing. Because there are going to be people in your midst that they have the wrong intentions. They have the wrong motives. And they may show up at church for duplicity, for the reasons of their business. It looks good if they're there. It sure helps them to to move forward. But the idea here is they don't, they're not lovers of God, they're lovers of themselves. And they're lovers of a form of religious system. 
Did the Pharisees and the Sadducees indeed have a form of a religious system? Yes. They believed that if they did enough right things and, and less wrong things, that they would find honor in God's eyes. And Jesus says, by no means, you cannot have both. You cannot love God and be a lover of self. You cannot love God and be a lover of money. You cannot love God and then what? Be arrogant and boastful and proud. You cannot love God and, as the Ten Commandments say, and disobey your parents. Why? Because as the Holy Spirit lives in our life, as he dwells in a temple not built by human hands, but in your heart, you do not have to hold fast to a set of rules and religions anymore because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And everything in you is going to be pointed towards Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is a representation of the Father and of the Son. And so, can you love God and deny His power? I don't think so. And so the question is, is this, if Christ lives in you, should you see His power? Should you see Him manifested in your life? Should you grow in character and competency in Jesus Christ? The answer is yes. And so the question is, as you evaluate your own life, because I know that's like the common thing right now happening. You're like, where am I? Where am I on this? If there was a point A in which we would call a conversion, the question is, is have you moved from point A? Okay? And so if you've moved from point A to over here, and you've taken a step forward in your faith, and you see God working in you, then you're beginning to bear fruit. And the more and more you grow in Christ, the more and more you bear fruit. Understand? Small peach trees that are real young, they don't produce a lot, right? But as you grow big and strong, they produce. Why? Because peaches produce fruit. Amen? Christians produce fruit. And look at verse 6. For among them are those, speaking here of wolves in sheep's clothing, okay? For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses. There's lots of you women in here, you're like, okay, why are you calling us weak? Okay, no, no, that's not what it's implying, okay? It, it, it's not a degrading thing. What it's saying is, is these men will use their tactics, crafty and cunning, and they will prey on weak women within the church. Now, what's a weak woman in the church? A weak woman in the church oftentimes is someone who is there also for the wrong reasons, and they're not real solid in their faith. And so they may show up, hopefully, trying to find someone to date. I, I don't know what the exact reasons for coming are. But the bottom line is, the idea here is this. Look, they're weighed down with sins led on by various impulses. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. And so they're, they're looking, they're on a quest for knowledge, but they've never ever come to the point of truth. Like, so what is the point of truth? Right here is God's word. And so they look, and, and so you look oftentimes at a lot of different sources. Girls, ladies, y'all are infamous for looking towards like horoscopes, things like that. Like, like planning your year around it. You're like, oh my gosh. I was born in February. This is what's going to happen in my life in the next year. According to God's word, you just need to throw all that garbage out. The bottom line is not a fixed point of truth. And people who are led astray, whether it be weak women or weak men, do not put themselves on fixed points of truth. The only way that you and I stand firm in our faith is to decide for us, am I going to 
recognize and honor God in my life by fixed points of truth. Things that I could determine as fact, as real. Things that I can center my life on. Not a horoscope, not a magic eight ball. Not some philosophical idea that's floating around. Not what Oprah says. Not what Dr. Phil came up with last week. But what God's word says. And I'm not taking a shot at these guys. What I'm saying is this. You just need to know that it's a fixed point of truth. You need to know that what you are seeing and reading is dependable. Because if not, the idea here is the implication is that you'll easily be led astray. And there will be someone that can snatch you and... And, and literally take you off. And I want you to understand, behind every good man is a good God. And behind every evil man is an evil, evil serpent. And so you are either going to be guided and, and, and led by Jesus Christ, or you're going to be influenced by the enemy. And so is there an enemy lurking within the church? Yes. And there are going to be many people in the last days, so that's this time, now, we're in the latter days, my friends. The signs point to that. There, there are going to be lots of conversations happening. And I'll tell you, one of the most centered conversations that I hear in our community and in this area is simply this. I even have people say things to me like this. Brandon, do you know some of those guys that you go to church with? I'm like, what do you mean? Yes, I know them. No, do you really know them? What do you mean, do I really know them? Like, do you know what they do? Well, here's the deal. I don't care what they do because the Bible tells me what people are doing. I know. I'm no fool. I don't need to know exactly what everyone's doing because the Bible, the fixed point of truth, told me already what people are going to be doing. I know there are going to be people in the church that are lovers of themselves. Got it? I know I have to guard myself against being a lover of me because I think I preach a pretty darn good sermon. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then, hey, right then, then I start going, y'all ought to pay me more? No, see, you see how easy it is to be honestly. And so what's the fixed point of truth? It's easy for any of us. It's especially easy for those who Christ does not inhabit and live in their life. And so we just need to be looking and guarding against such things. Why? Because there's going to be people who they don't, they don't know Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, isn't that the reason that we are here? Is so that people can know Jesus Christ? Look at this. Then he says, these people, meaning the people that are in your church who are lovers themselves in the last days, the ones who easily lead people astray, he says, just as Janus... Uh, the word Janus here is actually referring to a person in the Old Testament. His name would mean trickster. And Jambres, his name would mean juggler, opposed Moses. And while you will not find the names Janus and Jambres in anywhere in your Bible, the Hebrew tradition is that these two men are the very ones who opposed Moses when he went to Pharaoh and, and ask for favor to let his people go. And, and there are many times in those accounts, Exodus 6 or Exodus 7, 8, and following, that you'll see in the magicians in those days. And the magicians in those days. And everything in Hebrew tradition, and even historians that weren't believers, would say that Janus and Jambres were those two men, that they were the ones that were doing things with uh, Pharaoh. Matter of fact, um, here's what happened. Uh, Moses went 
and uh, he, he was told by God to go to Pharaoh, and he said, there's going to be a point where you're going to lay your staff down, and I'm going to turn it into a snake. Well, Janus and Jambres matched it. They did the same thing. And uh, if you remember, Janus and Jambres, they had their snake uh, come, and what? Moses and the snake that was made of a staff, it swallowed Janus and Jambres' snake. Then Moses went, and he said, hey, Pharaoh, you're going to let my people go. And he said, I, I don't think so. And he said, well, I, I bet you will after I turn the Nile into what? Blood. And he said, it's going to kill all the fish, and you're not going to be able to use the Nile. Well, guess what? They did, Moses went, and he did that. Well, the magicians, Janus and Jambres, they matched the task. Then he said, okay, I'm going to put frogs in the land. Well, guess what? Janus and Jambres matched the task. But as the task got further and further with each passing plague, Janus and Jambres lost their power, and they weren't able to match anything beyond the Nile, the snake turning in uh, to a staff, or the snap, ta- staff turning into a snake, and then they weren't able to match anything beyond the frogs. Matter of fact, there was a, a plague of boils that went across the land, and even the boils fell on the magicians, and they couldn't do anything about it. And so the idea was they lost their power. They were full of smoke. And so for a while, they, they did some things, and people thought they had great power. But as they went on, you saw that Janus and Jambres and the magicians were a mockery compared to what God was doing through Moses and Aaron. Does that make sense? Matter of fact, that's what Timothy describes. He says, So these men also oppose truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janus and Jambres' folly was also. And so the idea is, in the church, you're going to see men, and they're going to strive for power. They're going to look for places to get a foothold. But the bottom line is it will become evident to people who they are and what their purposes are. And then you'll know, and it will be obvious to a lot of people. Just as Janus and Jambres, they lost their power, and they weren't able to keep up with God. These men, because God does not inhibit them, they'll run out of their own power. And when you're running on your own power, friend, guess what? It comes to an end quickly. That's the idea. Got it? Then he says, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and suffering, such as happened to me at Antioch. He says, Now, Timothy, I want you and I want your church to be known for being faithful. I want you to press on. I want you to be sound in teaching. Yes? I want you to what? Be of great conduct. Or that's character in Christ. I want you to have purpose and faith, patience and love, perseverance. I want you to know the truth of Christ and grow in your confidence in him. Why? Because that's what makes the stand, is when people can radically look at your life and know they are different. There was used to be a point A in which Christ converted them, and now you look up, and they are not in the same place anymore. They are growing. They are maturing. They are the church. They are the people of God. They are a holy nation. They are a royal people. They are the saints that are being what? Made manifest through the Holy Spirit into a Christ-like warrior for the cause of the gospel not fake not pretentious not proud not arrogant not boastful but servants of the most high god that they are willing to lay their life down for their friends that they're willing to serve that they're willing to do anything in regard to the cause of christ if that means hey if that means that i'll I'll clean a toilet rather than teach a journey group then hey so be it for the cause of christ i don't need a place that's important i just need a place that's what it looks like I don't need a place of prominence. I don't need a place where my name is made known. I just need a place. I just need a place to belong. I just need a place where I can bring my brokenness and allow God to maneuver in my life and heal me and make me whole. 
That's all I need is a place. I need a place to belong. Not a place of power, not a place where I can lead people astray by my own knowledge, just a place where I can meet with God, where I can connect with others, where I can use the gifts that he's given me to serve within the body of Christ, and where I can be a witness to connect to the world. Guys, that is that not our mission? Let's connect to God in a meaningful way. Let's allow him to change our lives. We want to get connected with others. We want to use our gifts to serve him, and we want to be a witness. He says, Timothy, that's what you ought to do. And he says, in order to do such things, you're going to have persecutions and sufferings. Such happened to me at Antioch. What's interesting here is you look at this. He says, I was persecuted at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. If you look at your Bible in Acts, and you can go and read it, in Acts chapter 13, he was, uh, he was persecuted at Antioch. In Acts uh, chapter 14, 1 through 5, he was persecuted at Iconium. And Lystra, Acts chapter 14, verse 6, and then later in verse 19, you'll see that story. Here's the crazy thing. Where's Timothy? Well, Timothy's not with him yet. Because Timothy, you don't hear anything about him until Acts chapter 16, and that's where you actually see the story of him and his faithful family. And so what is he saying? He says, you just need to know that I've been there, and then what else does he need to know? He also says... I endured those persecution, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. He said, you also need to know that the Lord is faithful. Amen? And then, after he says, I've been there, I've done that, and God's proven to be true, then he says, just by the way, get ready to be persecuted. Okay? So he prepped him. He gave him the good news first. That's always best. Amen? Hey, by the way, God is good. He's faithful. I've almost been killed several times. I've been chased by my own men, by bandits, my own countrymen. I've been shipped, shipwrecked. I've been hungry. I've been naked. I've, I've starved. But hey, it's okay because God's good. I can do all things through him who strengthens me is the idea. But just know it's coming to you too, Timothy. It's going to happen. And that's what, hey, look, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. <coughs> Stephen. One of the very first martyrs within the church, Acts chapter 7, was stoned for his faith. One of the most incredible stories, I think, in the Bible is that you see in Acts chapter 7, Jesus get up off his throne. And as Stephen takes his last breath, I can only see in the heavenly realms that Jesus is up off his throne standing on behalf of a martyr for Jesus Christ, Stephen. They're, They're not the only ones. And... Asia in the 1970s, there was a a pastor um, who was being threatened by the Communist Party, and they had a little underground church, and uh, they had a handful of Bibles. His was one of those, and uh, the Communist Party finally sought them out and found them as they were meeting and uh, as they were there. Um, This is a true story. As they were there, uh, the Communist Party comes in with their renegade bunch of men, and uh, they take the Bible that the pastor had, and he threw it on the floor in the midst of uh, a handful of them and said, I will let you go today. You're going to spit on that Bible before we do. And so they brought the first man there, and uh, he, he did. He spit on the Bible, and as he did, he said, Lord, please forgive me. And they send him out. And then they bring a woman up, and she spits, but she doesn't spit a whole lot. She just spits a little bit. And uh, they feel like it's enough, but even as she did it, she's like, Lord, just forgive me. And then they bring a 16 or 17-year-old girl, which no one knows her name. And she says, Lord, what have they done to your word? 
and she refused to spit. And they pull a trigger and put a bullet in the back of her head, and she dies right there in the middle of a communist party in, in Asia in the 1970s. They are not alone. There will be many Christians in the last days that will be persecuted for their faith. There will be many Christians. We see it not now with ISIS or ISIL or whatever you would like to call it. There are many people being persecuted for their faith. And what Timothy is being told is this, is that you need to trust that God is faithful in the midst of that. And so the question then becomes, if you and I are going to be persecuted for our faith, let me ask you two questions. One, do you think your faith better be real? Yes, you cannot be a pretender, okay? You got to be a contender, okay? There's no, there's no room for pretenders when it gets real because when the fire gets turned up, let me tell you something, it's easy for us to bail, amen? That's just true, yes? And the second question is this, what does it look like if God is faithful in your persecution? What is it, in fact, that he owes you? Because eventually, Paul would be beheaded. He would lose his life as a martyr for his faith. Matter of fact, all the disciples, with the exception of John, would, and he was boiled alive and survived and exiled to the island of Patmos. But every single other disciple lost their life. And so what is it? As you live your life for the cause of the gospel, what is it, the one thing that God guarantees you? Can I explain it to you real quick? Eternal life. He says, you have to trust that in this next life, it will be better than any life you've made for yourself now. And that's the only promise that we have for him, is that he says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so can we go with courage? Yes. Can it be scary and trepidatious? Yes, it can. But we have to trust that God is good. Because in verse 13 says, evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Well, there's the answer to the age-old question. It does, is it, in fact, that people are getting worse, or is it that media coverage just seems to prevail these days? Uh, it says right here, but men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. It's an idea. We just keep getting worse, worse, and worse. You, however, verse 14, speaking of Timothy, speaking of the church. Here it is. You, however, continued in the things that you've learned. Yes? And become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them. Meaning, do you really believe in this gospel? Do you really believe in Jesus Christ? Do you really believe in your word? Or are you going through your life and your Christian faith by a bunch of smoke? Because here's the bottom line, and I'm going to say this, and I don't know why, but I'm going to, because I don't have it in my notes. I think the predominant number of Christians are going by smoke. Why? Because you don't know the word of God sound enough as instruction to believe in. Guys, if you knew, I, I'm sitting around literally with about eight or nine guys. Most of them are twice my age on Friday mornings. And I am just laying out Hosea. And the eyes just get this big around. And then you just see like multiple aha moments like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my, like, are you serious? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Why? Because the Bible's becoming real for them. And they're seeing things that are there that they've never seen before. And in those moments, every single aha moment, every single deep breath that they go, wow, is one more anchor in their life that will hold in the last days. Every single time that they can look to God and see what he's done, every single conversion in this church, every single person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, every single person who grows in Christ, it is one more anchor in my life. It is one more anchor in your life. Why? Because we know that God is faithful. 
And if we can time and time and time again come back and know that God is faithful, know that He is good, know that He's gracious, know that He's our strength when we're weak, then we cannot help but keep living for Him. And so he says, know from whom you've learned them and that from childhood you've known the sacred writing which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Know the word. Why? Why? He tells Timothy, according to 2 Timothy 1.5, he says, hey, just be mindful of the sincere faith that lived within who? Your grandmother Lewis and your mother Eunice, which what? I'm sure that's in you as well. He goes, hey, don't forget where you've come from. Why? Because the word of God is real and it indeed changes. And then he says, and this is a famous scripture that we all have used and heard. Then he says, all scripture is inspired by God. Why should we know the Bible? Why should we know this fixed point of truth in our life? Because it's inspired by God is what Paul says to Timothy. He goes, this is it. This is the real deal. Inspired by God. Use it. Live by it. Why? Because it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Get this. So the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. So here it is. Listen to this. If I'm correct, God loves his church. Yes? You can agree with that? God loves his church. If I'm correct, people converted to Christ are his church. They're the people of God. Yes? He says, I'm going to give you good gifts in order to what? Have pastors that help move you forward and equip you in those gifts. So that people look at your lives and they see your character, your conversion. They see how you grow in competency of his word so that you can stand firm against the evil one. Is that it? That makes sense? I mean, that's pretty much the last four weeks wrapped up in a couple of sentences. Yes? And so why is all that so important? 17, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. So the question is, I think for all of us, at least for me, do you want to be used of God? Like, isn't that our desire, truly? I mean, Christians who have been converted to Christ, don't we want to be used by God? Yes? Like, there's some of you, like, you're still trying to figure out. I don't know. (laughs) If you want to be used by God, you got to get equipped. And the only thing that equips you is God's Word. And so the, the, the question is, am I getting around people who know God's Word? Am I getting around people who, they, they see this as more than a philosophical idea, but they see this as a fixed point of truth? Because that's where it starts, is knowing the Word and allowing it to what? Train you, correct you, reprove you. Amen? And so I'm just going to give you a quick commercial, and then I'm going to pray for us. Um, If you're not in a journey group, okay, the time has come and kind of gone, because what we do is we do what we call group link, and group link is twice a year. And in those group links, we typically have 40, 50, 60. This last time we had over 80 people that came to group link, and they got plugged into new groups. At Stone Point right now, we currently have 32 what we call journey groups or small group Bible studies. They don't meet here in our building. They meet all through different parts. And so what we've done, though, is this. We've realized that there are going to be some people that come in and they want to get a part of a Bible study, a small group. And, and they want to learn God's Word. They want to get equipped. 
But they're like, I don't want to just wait till the next group link, because when is that? Well, our next group link's in January. So it seems like if you just came a couple of weeks ago and you missed group link, then it feels like you're stranded on an island by yourself. And so what we've done is we've developed Gathering Point. And Gathering Point is a small group that's going to meet here, led by two, I believe, of the best leaders that we have in our church. And uh, it's going to be incredible. And we encourage you to come. And you can stay in this as long as you'd like. But our hope is that you stay on in it for a couple of months until our next group link. And then we'll launch you out and you can get in your own journey group. And so don't miss Gathering Point happening on Sunday afternoons. The start of it's today at 2 o'clock if you want to be in a group. And you want to grow together with other people in God's Word. Amen. Let me pray for you, church. We love you. And uh, hey, if you're here and you're like, I don't know if I'm a sheep or a wolf. If you promise not to bite me, I would love to talk to you more about it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you for your word, and I pray, God, that you would help us to discover it, that it would live in us richly, and Lord, that the more the word lives in us, that it would produce in us fruit, that people would not look at us as mere wolves or even Pharisees, not people who, who claim to live in a religious order but do everything against God. Lord, I don't want to be a lover of myself. I don't want to be evil and proud. I don't want to be arrogant or boastful. I don't want to be a lover of me. I want to be a lover of Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray that that would be the heart of the people here. <coughs> but Father, I think many of us, if we're not careful, including myself, could easily be led astray if we're not standing firm in the Word. And so Lord, help us to stand firm. Lord, help us to know Your Word and help us to live by it. Help us to be the church, a people that's used by you to do great and mighty things, to create schools, to create hospitals, to help abolish world hunger, to stand up for abortion and babies' rights, to stand up for uh, what marriage is defined in your word. Lord, help us to stand firm. Help us to be the church that you've called us to be. We love you, we thank you, and it's in the wonderful and precious name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And everybody said, Amen.